This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Please pray with me. Dear Jesus, we love you this morning, and I thank you for your word that you've given directly to us. Thank you for Brian, that he's here to speak your truth, and I pray that you'd open up all of our hearts to listen to the truth that you have to speak to us, and that you would just help us to love one another and be in a community as as you've designed it. Uh, Jesus, we love you, and we pray all these things in your precious name. Amen. Amen. All right, my on. All right, good morning, everyone. I am... If this is your first time here, can you just raise your hand for me? We just want to say good morning and welcome. There's a lot of new people here this morning. <clears throat> Thank you for uh, being cooperative with the parking. It's, um, <clears throat> excuse me, it's important for us that we are really good neighbors. And as you can tell, that there's people living on both sides of us, kind of all around us. And so we, we take that seriously. We believe that um, if we're going to meet here on this property, that we want to be good neighbors. So thank you for helping us with that. Um, this morning, um, about two hours ago, we had to change our plans with the, uh, the baptism. Um, so just a minor adjustment. I'm going to, here's what's going to happen this morning. I'm going to speak from Acts 8, and um, I'll be a little bit shorter this morning. And then the people who are getting baptized are going to come up and just briefly share their testimony and, um, and just share why why they love Jesus, and why they want to get baptized. And so that's what's uh, the plan here. It looks like all of you guys in the back, there is that, I forgot, there's that bench back there. If you guys want to move that and sit on that, Willie. I kind of hit it back there. So, and there's a few seats here and a few more picnic tables and a couple smattering of seats around. Um, so this morning, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at Acts chapter 8, the story of the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip. And... Um, as I got into this, uh, you know, I just I find just the layers of meaning and significance in this story. And so, the book of Acts tells the story of how this movement began. This small group of people 
regular, regular guys, regular men and women, not the influential cultural leaders of society, but regular kind of blue-collar working people, set the world on fire and radically changed the world forever with a movement that is now known as Christianity. And so this morning, we're going to look at that. What, is the, what was it that happened? Um, we know that, 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 that gimmicks and, and pyramid schemes and all kinds of things that try to create movements almost always die out. But something about Christianity is unique that lasted and has impacted the whole world. And the key part of this, the key element that makes Christianity, this movement that's changed the world, is the idea of personal conversion. Personal conversion. People's lives were radically changed. Christianity is not a movement about minor adjustments in our lives. It's not a self-help book. It's not making a slight adjustment here. It is a complete, radical, significant change. And it's as simple as this. It's a transition from you are in complete control of your life. You are the God. You are the functioning king, ruler, Lord of your life, or Jesus is. And the trajectory of your life will be radically different. And so this morning, this is a really unique story this morning. <clears throat> and uh, we're going to learn, we're going to learn, uh, here's three questions we're going to learn. We'll apply to the idea of conversion or what it means to be a Christian. Where does the power come from to convert people? Where does the power come from? What is the message Where does the power come from? What is the message? And then who partners with the power and the message? That is the element, the elements that we see here in this story. So if you have your Bible or the yellow handout, go ahead and turn to uh, Acts chapter 8 and we'll look at the story. Before we do, though, I just want to point out something to you. This was on. uh, on CNN's webpage, I think I put this on the church Facebook page, about a story from uh, the CNN that I think came out from the Pew organization that said the fastest growing religious group in our country is now made up of people who have no religion at all. The number of Americans has grown by 25% in just the past five years who consider themselves a part of no religion. They can list three, three reasons. John Green, senior research advisor at Pew, breaks the religiously unaffiliated into three groups. First, he said, there are those who were raised totally outside of organized religion. The second group of people were people who were unhappy with their religion and left. <clears throat> and then third, um, the third group is made up of Americans who were never really engaged with religion in the first place, even though they were raised in religious households. People, here's the thing, people are, and I just assume this, people are smart. For the most part, I do believe people are smart. And if we're saying that Christianity is a religion of self-help, and it's just minor adjustments to your life, the 
the message becomes distorted and authentic, real Christianity becomes, is turned into something that doesn't exist or was never intended. So if you're not a Christian this morning or if you're still thinking through this, if you're seeking out your spiritual journey and trying to figure things out, the Bible is clear that authentic Christianity requires a wholehearted conversion of giving up control of your life and giving that over to Jesus. And we'll see, we'll see elements of that in this story. So three, three questions we will answer here briefly this morning. Where does the power come from to convert people? Well, first of all, just straight up, clear, it doesn't come from a pastor. It doesn't come from church leaders. It doesn't come from mom or dad. Any authentic life conversion experience, any divine intervention of God into your life is always the work of God's Spirit. And we see that throughout this story. In fact, the story begins in verse 26. and says, Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south. And so, the Bible is just so clear that the power to change people's lives comes from God. It only comes from God. It doesn't come from um, an emotionally dynamic, charismatic leader. It, here's the thing. You can get, you can all, we can find dynamic enough speakers to create change in our lives for a little while. There are enough um, personalities out there that can draw people in But what we do know is it's always temporary. And so there is a deliberate effort among us at the gathering that we understand this, that I'm not interested in trying to play religious games with you. I'm not trying to play play with your emotions. We believe, and that's why we pray before church every Sunday morning that God's Spirit would be here. And we know that when you read the sermons throughout the book of Acts, you can read them. And here's the thing, I mean, they're pretty good. I mean, I've read them a lot. All right? They're pretty good. But they don't make me cry. I don't jump up and down and say, that's the best sermon I've ever heard in my life. But something radical happened when these sermons were preached. And it was the power of God attending to the message. And so, throughout this story, we see that God is the one that's moving. He is the one that's orchestrating things. And it starts out with Philip. <clears throat> it's actually kind of really funny. All right, so the spirit, the angel, God sends a messenger, an angel to Philip and says, leave. And then he, in, um, in verse 20, 28, he's out in the middle of the desert and the angel says, the spirit says, returning, excuse me, verse 30, or 29, sorry, sorry. It says, and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join the chariot. So here's Philip. Let me just give you the background of Philip before we even look at that. Philip is a successful preacher in Samaria, Acts chapter 8, in the beginning part of it. He's doing amazing things. God is sincerely and honestly using him. People are coming to know the Lord. People are encouraged. Um, signs and miracles are being done through him. So things are, God is using him. But the Spirit leads him to the desert. And this, this is just worth it for us to think about this. We all love success. We like to be a part of success. It doesn't matter if it's in athletics or jobs or in the ministry. We like to be connected with people who are successful. 
But the Spirit says, go out into the desert. And if we just think about this for our own lives for just a moment and just try to think how this fits, knowing this, that the Spirit of God sometimes moves us away from things that we are successful at. It's not all about you and your own success. The Spirit led him to a lonely place. And here comes uh, an Ethiopian uh, in a chariot. And the Spirit says, run up to him. All right, so this is like kind of bizarre. It's kind of funny. This is like one of those stories that like, you would not believe. Okay, so it's like if a car is driving by slowly and the Spirit says, go run up next to that car. And just like run next to the guy and start having a conversation as he's driving slow. Like who, who does this? No one does. It's weird. And then much less the guy's reading and starts talking to the guy. Like what you're reading as you're going for a jog. All right? So it's just kind of weird. But that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit tells him to, do, to, to, uh, to have a conversation with this African um, who is reading from Isaiah. There's some, actually some really significant things in this, this beginning part of the story about the Spirit of God. And in order to see that, we have to see it in the context. This is Acts chapter 8. This is the beginning of the life of the church. This is shortly after Jesus had ascended into heaven, and the church is just being born. And we can see from this story that the role of the Spirit, or one aspect of the role of the Spirit, is to pull down barriers between different types of people. To pull down barriers between different types of people. There's something really amazing, and just it's, just, it's honestly a beautiful story. And we'll, here's three things, just three observations. Three different ways that the Spirit breaks down barriers. Number one, racial barriers. Number two, economic barriers. Number three, social barriers. Philip is just a regular old dude, just a regular Jewish man. And he has this encounter early on in the church that fits even with the Great Commission and Acts chapter 2. Just really quickly. And you'll see the the cohesiveness of the Scriptures. Jesus says in in Acts chapter 1, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. If we look around here this morning, we're we're a pretty fair representation of Malibu. I think it's like around 92% white. White, successful, affluent people for the most part. Early on in the gospel, early on in the life of the church, there is this story about an African man from Ethiopia, most likely modern-day southern Egypt or Sudan. And the good news of the gospel goes to this man. We all know, I mean, people who study Christianity know that Christianity is actually in many ways dying in Western Europe and in the United States. But in China, Africa, parts of Latin America, it is growing at high rates. So it is valuable for all of us to know that Christianity is not an American religion. It is a worldwide movement of God where he is moving in people's lives. And it starts early on in the life of the church with this black man. And let's look at him a little bit more carefully. And he's actually a very amazing and unique man. 
Chapter 27 says, And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. The Spirit leads to, to, to pull down racial barriers, but also economic barriers. Here is a regular old Jewish man initiating a conversation with an affluent, wealthy African. And the dialogue that we'll look at in a, in a moment, you'll see is, is that, there, that there is a, a reciprocal, I'm not even say that word, uh, a back and forth of conversation between the two men. Pulls down barriers, racial barriers, economic barriers, social barriers. The man had reached a high place in his field. He was, the Bible says, he was in charge of the treasure of the queen of Ethiopia. To understand this is crucial for you to understand what it means to be a Christian. That to be a spirit-filled believer is that you are pulling down barriers between people groups. The reality is this, that people who are different, we are naturally suspicious of. People that we are ignorant of, we tend to doubt. We tend to criticize. We tend to identify flaws. The Bible tells us from the early on in the life of the church that the Spirit leads people who are different than us. That it goes to this black African man. The power for a radical life change only comes from the Spirit of God, never from man. Well, what is the message that converts people? And we see that. We'll pick up what is the message. We'll see this in verse 30. So Philip ran to him, heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet. So he's reading out loud. The normal thing back during this time was to be reading out loud in the chariot as he's moving by with the oxen pulling him. And he says, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Like a shepherd he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his, humiliation, in his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch, the Ethiopian man, asks a very significant question. It's not what is the message about, he asks the question, who is the prophet talking about? And Philip says, it's the good news about Jesus. That's what the message is about. The message that converts people is the message that Jesus gave all of who he was. He gave his life. He gave his life to all who want more than the material world has to offer. The Ethiopian man was a spiritual seeker. And this is really interesting. Just, we'll look at this just for a minute. We'll go back and just look at this man in response to being a spiritual seeker. All right, so verse, back up to verse 27 for just a moment. He's an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official. All right, so the word eunuch, I asked a good friend of mine if he knew what a eunuch was, and he wasn't sure, so I'm going to assume that a lot of you don't. But... He was a 
hopefully aren't too many young folks, I'll whisper this, but he was a sexually mutilated man. His testicles were cut off. All right, so that's kind of a, okay, that's kind of a weird thing a little bit, but let me explain this a little bit. Often during this time, what would happen if, if you wanted to, if you had the opportunity to, to, to rise up in life and to be an official in the palace or in some form of government in high up place, they would do that to men so that there would not be um, into any interactions with the female who are of the higher society. So you've got the high society officials, um, government leaders, administrators, people of influence. And, and this Ethiopian man probably was from a lower class but had worked hard and risen up and made it to a place of affluence and power. And so they would do this to men as a way of protecting. So this man... Let me just stop here just for a minute and, and not make too much light of this. Actually, I'll, I'm going to hold that thought and I'm going to keep going. So he's a, he's a eunuch in charge of treasure. He'd reached the high place in his life. All right? And so think about this for a second. Now, I know that none of us are uh, asked to do such drastic measures to our bodies today, but the idea is relevant to us. In this way. Number one, he made a sacrifice in his life. He was successful. And one of the key things we see here is the reason why he went to Jerusalem. The last part of verse 27 says, He had come to Jerusalem to worship. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. All right, so let's just think about this for a second. This happens all the time. People will make sacrifices in their lives to reach high levels of success. People will make sacrifices to reach, to have high levels of success in their careers. Think about, I mean, just where we live. All right? I, I live in Malibu. I work in the Palisades and lots of successful people. Often, Often, the men that I know will work 60, 70, 80 hours a week for high levels of success. You might not be sacrificing um, a part of your physical body like the eunuch did, but you're sacrificing your wife, your children, friendships, all for success. That That hits home more with us. People do that all the time. People work really hard in school, undergrad, grad school, law school, MBA, med school. Make personal sacrifices for success. Reach the career, begin to make a little bit of money. The demands of life require more money. And sacrifice after sacrifice. And it's almost always family, friends, church, everything for success. But what's amazing about this man is he did that. He made it. He did the personal sacrifice. He was successful, but it wasn't enough. He'd accomplished everything the world had to offer, but it wasn't enough. And here's how we know this. 
he left Ethiopia hundreds of miles to travel to Jerusalem to worship God. Something was missing in his life. This is the message. When you're at that place, and I hope that if you're young, you can figure this out before, but it is such a a dangerous way to live your life to make sacrifices and strive for success in the world like so many people have done, and then once you get it, you realize how empty it truly is. Now, just a parenthetical statement. Of course the Bible is supports working hard and having goals and being successful in life, as long as that is never the ultimate in life. And when it becomes the ultimate in life, it always leads to emptiness. And that's what we see here in this man. He's going to, to Israel to worship. And there's one other thing that's interesting about this. He wouldn't, when, he got to, when he got to Jerusalem to worship and to go to the temple... As a eunuch, the Old Testament says that he would not have been let in to the temple. That a eunuch would not be let in. That people with leprosy or other um, deformities or things would not be let in. So imagine this man for just a moment. Again, sacrifice, success, reached it all. A sincere, honest, spiritual hunger in his life. And he journeys all the way to Jerusalem, hundreds of miles, months of traveling, and he gets there. And they say, No, you're not welcome here. And that's when the Spirit of God leads Philip to this interaction with him. The message of Jesus is that he took on the punishment that God would put on sinful people that the innocent, pure, holy Son of God, Jesus, He was the one, the Lamb, that was led to the slaughter so that sinful people can have a personal relationship with the Heavenly Father. So the message is about Jesus. The last thing, I'll I'll finish up with this because I know people are going to come up and share testimonies for just a moment. One thing we do see though, and that is the last thing, the last question was, who is it that partners with the power and the message? And the reality is, is that all of us, all of us who are followers of Jesus, we partner with the Spirit and the message to encourage and to point people to Jesus. And we see this with the questions. Look at verse 30. Underline this if you want in your Bible. This is the the Ethiopian eunuch. He said, Philip asked the question, do you understand what you are reading? And the eunuch says, how can I unless someone guides me? Do we understand that? How can I unless someone guides me? Christianity is not, it's not um, saying a prayer and asking Jesus into your heart and then just doing your own lifestyle of having your own, how can we even say this? Doing your own Bible reading on your own. Um, having your own quiet time, doing all this stuff on your own. There's never any place in the Bible where it says that Christianity is your own thing. There is always a community aspect to it. There is always a social dynamic aspect to it. So we see the number one, there's a couple of questions that the eunuch asks. Number one, how can I, unless someone guides me? And the second, at, this, at the end of the story, 
he asks the question, what prevents me from being baptized? What prevents me from being baptized? The end of verse 37. Here's the idea. And I know, I know some people reject this or it's difficult for them. But if we're going to have an honest look at Christianity, there has to be a clear understanding that it is a community it is a community religion in its essence. People, people are resistant to the idea of accountability, of friendship, of sharing, of community. And honestly, I feel like a, a part of this is the idea of, of that we are driven. At the core of who we are, we are driven by what people think about us. The reality is that all of us have hurts and pains and scars and things we regret. We all have that. But what we have to understand, all of us have to understand that the gospel is forgiveness. And that you are forgiven and free and clean of all of your past mistakes. So the idea of an excuse of saying, of, of, of dwelling on your past, that, that's a work of the enemy. You are clean. You are forgiven. You are free. And you are meant to live in community. You are meant to live in friendships with people. Occasionally I talk to people who are just discouraged about their spiritual lives and frustrated. And one of the first questions we should always ask is, are you doing this thing on your own? Are you doing the Christian life Are you on your own? Or do you have people in your life that are your friends? That's the message at the end of the story. Verse 38, we'll finish with this. And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both get out into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. You cannot baptize yourself. Okay? It'd be really funny. You can try if you want, and we'll probably laugh at you if you want to go and try but you're not coming back up unless you like roll over and stand up. The idea is that you need two. It takes two to baptize. Christianity is meant to be lived out in friendship. The story in Acts chapter 8 is that only the Spirit of God can lead to conversion. Not pastors, not friends, not musicians, not whoever, someone on TV or whoever you want. You've got to know that's always the Spirit of God that does that. The message is always about Jesus, but power and message is always partnered with other people. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this brief study, brief time in your word. Uh, we thank you for that. We thank you that we see that the gospel, the message of Jesus, goes to all people, and that through your Spirit, it pulls down barriers racial barriers, cultural barriers, economic barriers, so that people can live together in harmony. Father, I just pray that there would be a deepening sense of friendship and unity within our church. I pray that people would take time to get to know each other, that there would be a community here that's based on your son, Jesus. And Father, as we hear just really briefly in the next little bit about people who publicly want to say, they love you. We just say we thank you, Lord, for that and that you're moving in people's lives. We want to worship you 
and be encouraged and strengthened as we hear from other people. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if any of those folks are around, I'm not seeing one of them yet in front of me, but maybe they'll trickle up. Is Adam or Ford or any of the Ficklin clan here? They're just going to be real brief and share. Alicia, I just want to say that when I did this, I think I was, I know I was a teenager, and I was like so terrified to come up here and speak, and I'll, I got up here and I started bawling like a baby, and I decided, I just love Jesus, and I walked away. <laughs> so if you do that, that's okay. So... You can be, but if, the only thing I will do is, is if you're too long, I'm going to like yank you out because no one wants to stay here until like 2 o'clock. I know that. Um, so we're just going to have just brief testimonies, just a, a minute or two. There's one. You're not going to go first. All right. That's oh, right. We need a man. Where's, oh, Ford's right here. Thank you, Ford. Okay, where's Adam? Oh, let me, Karen, would you get, tell Adam that he's going to have his turn here in just a second? And then the Ficklin people. All right, Ford. You gotta be the man and, and break us open. Check, check. All right. Um, so I've given my testimony a few times this week and um, d- different lengths. So I'll try to include what I know I need to include and what's relevant and important. Um, so I start from the beginning. I was born in Manhattan, New York. Lived there for a year, so I don't remember it. Um, grew up in a solid Christian family. Both my parents met while they were doing Campus Crusade in Little Rock, Arkansas. Um, they showed me the Jesus movie at a young age, and I was a pretty uh, mature kid and could recognize that uh, there's like something wrong with life and that there's uh, that thing was sin. And uh, so from a young age, I know I had saving grace, and I know I had Jesus as my Savior. Um, I just loved him, and I loved to share him with my friends, and uh, just going to church, taking friends to camp, um, just like loving life and loving living for him. Um, middle school, I remember it was like the first time I had like a super intense Holy Spirit expe- uh, experience at a worship session at a camp somewhere in East Texas. Anyways, um, so naturally after that super solid um, Holy Spirit experience is when Satan hits most, I feel, and um, middle school got pretty gnarly, um, started breaking bones left and right, and all throughout like elementary school, uh, my only community besides church was sports, and most of my sports intermingled with my church, and so that's where all my friends were, um, so <laughs> got a laundry list of injuries, I got broke both bones, both arms, both collarbones, my back a couple times, um, my hip flexor, a bunch of things. Um, so not just essentially just like lost all sorts of community, all sort of friendship, and um, just went in some like dark and gnarly places that lasted through like probably eighth grade to middle tenth grade or so. Um, but something that was in my life um, slowly but surely was young life in ninth and tenth grade. And naturally, I didn't want to go because my mom wanted me to go, so I didn't go freshman year. Um, but when I had more freedom, sophomore year to drive, I could make get myself. Um, I went more and more, and um, I signed to go to camp. But then at the end of sophomore year, is like when the gnarliest of the injuries happened, and that's when uh, I got drop kicked in the knee in a soccer game, and I ended up having like six surgeries from it. But um, just being the same stubborn kid I am, I was going to prove everyone wrong and still go to camp. And uh, camp is advertised as the best week of your life for any money back guaranteed, which it was. And uh, at that camp, before then, I'd just been living, um, living in a way that 
I just felt like just being a good person was enough and like life was a sacrifice, sacrifice of fun and that I could be a moral person, but I wasn't going to have much fun. But at camp, I saw a joy, a love and a way of doing life that I had never seen before. Um, and I realized that's the kind of Jesus and the kind of love I wanted. Um, so from that camp experience, sophomore year, I was just like sold out on um, young life and just loving friends, loving them well, no matter where they were or what they did. Um, so junior, senior year were a couple of the best years. Well, every year has gotten better since then. <laughs> um, but that's where it kind of started. And uh, I mean, those, those were like probably the toughest years physically. I was having surgery after surgery after surgery. Um, but through that, I was able to remain joyful and um, just keep growing in Christ. And uh, so I got to Pepperdine on a whim, <laughs> just applied with not much expectation, most, like most Pepperdine students. Uh, ended up getting out here. Uh, yeah, we all end up here somehow. It's, God works big. But anyways, um, sophomore year, or freshman year was a freaking blast. Um, just found awesome community in my dorm and our sister dorm and Malibu Gathering. Um, loved it. It was an amazing year. Just went by way too fast. Um, sophomore year, I was abroad in Argentina. That was an incredible experience. Um, learned a lot about myself. Um, <laughs> got some VA alumni back there. Um, just uh, learned a lot that, like, it was really hard for me to ex- like experience God over there just because... I find God in uh, nature and in just like free openness and in, like church community. And we had so many solid people down there and we did tons of worship, tons of Bible studies, but uh, I just really, really missed y'all, really missed this. And uh, it was on my heart to get baptized for a while and I was just praying about it and opportunity came up here and I wouldn't have wanted them to do it anywhere else. Um, so when it came up, I took it the moment I could and I'm so stoked. Um, I just, I know, like, it's tough. I don't know why my parents really didn't have me baptized when I was young, but I'm glad that I'm able to make the choice right now to do it and make it wholeheartedly and do it with y'all because there's no other community I'd rather do it with. So, yeah. faces the entire time okay um I'm actually really nervous which is weird because I'm like pretty good at talking in front of people but okay so I, at first, <laughs> I was really tempted to just come here and be like I love Jesus that's why I want to get baptized and then step off the stage but then I was kind of convicted while I was standing back there like I do have a story and I think I'm supposed to tell it more often so I'm gonna just quickly give you my testimony briefly but as honestly as I can um, I was raised in the church, like grew up in it. I think I was like actually probably born in the building. My parents were like, on leadership. Um, my uncle was, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> my uncle was the pastor of a 10,000 member church. Um, I spent literally every single day of my life in the church. And that was, I believed in God from a very young age. Like I never, ever questioned it. It was all that I knew, all that I saw and I had no reason to doubt that. And so my life just kind of was like, going like this, and then kind of went like that. So my sophomore year of high school, my uncle um, made some pretty poor decisions um, that 
like changed everything. So he was asked to step down from the church. Our church kind of broke apart. Um, it was like on the news. I live in a really small town. Everyone knew that like I went to that church and it was like, oh, Alicia, your uncle. It was terrible. My parents kind of walked away from the faith. Um, super tough time in my family. Um, my parents were really angry. I got really angry. Just rough home situation financially. My parents kind of started fighting and just like this rock that I had my whole life was no longer there. And so during this time, I... I don't really, I was not following the Lord um, and made some interesting decisions. I just got myself in some bad situations. I um, was in a really unhealthy relationship with someone a lot older than me. Um, That forced me to kind of, I was lying a lot to my parents, to my friends, to everyone. I got like super depressed and was just like, this relationship like was my life. It was like, I was completely sort of brainwashed and um I was really sick during this time. I just got home from a mission trip and, like, had this mystery illness, and no one knew what was wrong with me. I was, like, in doctors, out of doctors every day. Um, I missed, I think I, like, averaged out the days 60% of my senior year, just didn't go to school. Part of that was me being sick. Part of it was I was super depressed. I was, like, addicted to a bunch of medicines and, like, was like a zombie. I would just, like, take medicine and talk to this person and, like, was not living my life. Like, I the path I was on, I don't know what would happen if something hadn't changed. It was terrifying. I, like, didn't know who I was. My parents didn't know what was going on. Like, my brothers, like, were, like, Alicia's gone crazy. People, like, in my town talked about me. Like, I lost my mind, which I kind of had, (laughs) which is, that's hard. And so, for some reason, I decided that the best course of action would be to run away from home. So that's what I did (laughs) my senior year of high school, Christmas break. Like, actually ran away in a car, but ended up running out of gas and, like, finding myself in the middle of nowhere, South Georgia, on the side of the road. It was snowing outside, and it doesn't even snow in Georgia. (laughs) And um, I just, like, remember sitting there, and, like, they, like, called the police. Like, it was a big deal, filing missing persons report, and then, like, getting these fault calls on my phone and just, like, ignoring them. And I was just like, what? what am I doing? Like, what am I doing? Like, not physically what am I doing, but what has happened? And, like, at that point, I mean, it's hard to explain, but, like, I was just, like, I knew what I knew, like, how I'd been raised. Like, I knew what was truth, and I knew that the only way to get myself out of this situation was to turn back to the Lord. And I, like, felt like I was, like, too far gone. I was like, well, I just messed everything up. But at the same time, I knew that wasn't true. And so in that moment, like, sitting in that car, I was just, like, okay, God, Um, I don't know what this is going to look like, but, like, I need you, or else I don't know where I'm going to end up. And it was a long process from there, but I can honestly say, like, sitting in that car in the middle of the night, like, God encountered me, and it was like, I, like, turned back, and, like, it was like, there he was, like, Alicia, where have you been? Like, I've just been waiting for you sort of thing, you know? And I was like, oh, (laughs) right. (laughs) And um, since then, it's just been just walking with the Lord. It was a slow process at first. Like, I had to forgive a lot of people, mainly myself. And, um, but what happened is I just fell in love with Jesus. And he took all these, like, terrible things in my life and replaced them with the things of God, with, like, joy and peace and grace. And my life just looked radically different. And, like, I was able to get out of this relationship and, like, stop doing the things I was doing, but by not my own power. Like, I was by no means strong enough to do that. And so... God rescued me. And that's like the story, like that's what he did on the cross. But I like experienced that for the first time in my personal life. Like, oh, this is what he does. Like, And so that's kind of my life. And since then, it's just been about learning about the Lord and like falling more in love with him. And I came to Pepperdine 
like Metcalf <laughs> and um just have been growing ever since then and um just to kind of catch you up to date like where I am now I spent some time in Guatemala this summer and I just fell in love with like the work of the Lord and like what he's called us to do and like uh what he's called me to do and what I believe like specifically he's called me to do so in December I'm moving to Guatemala kind of indefinitely to do mission work I'll be living at an orphanage and I just I love those kids and I love what it means to serve others and I'm just stoked but at the same time I know that like so what this baptism is for me is part of it is like praising God for what he's brought me out of and where he's brought me to and then part of it is me just being like symbolically like okay God I actually can't do this without you because I know that if I try to do this next part of my life by myself I will fail miserably so just kind of being like okay God this is what you've done I want to praise you for that and I'm asking you to like in a new way like I'm gonna have to walk like you with you like I never have before like actually depend on you for every step because like I said if I don't I will fail miserably so that's kind of what this is for me and my story sort of Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Adam, and uh, I wanted to share uh, a little bit of my story with you, and then also uh, share why I'm getting baptized. Um, so I'll start at the start. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, more specifically, uh, my mom grew up Lutheran, and uh, when my parents got married, uh, my dad's always said, went to church more in that first year than I went my whole life. Um, so... That's kind of that's a little background there. So we grew up going to church every week. Went to a Lutheran church. <sighs> Didn't really like it. Um, I liked well. I liked Sundays because after church we went to get coffee and bagels. Um, so it's. I'm glad that's here now. So that's <laughs> that's a good thing. Uh, just kidding. But um, so I was. I'd never like really looked forward to going to church. Uh, I was always kind of bored. Uh, my church had a school, and it was kind of awkward because all the other kids in the Sunday school were all friends, and I was like an outsider. So I, I don't know. I didn't, wasn't a big fan. In fact, I remember one weekend, um, we had to get our the cement in our garage re-poured, and uh, I, I told my mom, I said, I'm going to stay and move everything out of our garage instead of go to church this week. Uh, so I chose that manual labor for a day rather than going to Sunday school. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, I was there every Sunday other than that one. And, um, I, I mean, I, I established a pretty decent, um, you know, kind of background for my faith uh, through going to church. But it wasn't something that was really alive for me. Um, I went through confirmation classes in the Lutheran church for two years. And um, I actually value that now just because of... Um, I was able to meet with the, the pastor there every week and... and uh, learn stuff I didn't know, and that's, I mean, that has helped me, um, moving forward from there, but that was in, like, middle school. High school, um, my youth program at the church got cut, so, um, I used that extra time to play sports more, and, uh, that was my thing. I was a big baseball player in high school, and, uh, I, I loved it. It took all my time, and I didn't care. That was the majority of what I cared about. But meanwhile, I was also, um, I mean, I was walking the walk and talking the talk of being a Christian, but it wasn't something that was super um, 
super deep and in, in, in deep set inside me uh, as actually like a leader on our fellowship of Christian athletes in high school. But it was, it was like back burner sort of deal for me, um, which is, it's sad for me now to say that um, just cause I wish I would use that time better, but it is what it is. Um, and it's got me to where I am now. Um, so after senior year of high school, I thought I'd go play college baseball, but had a bunch of injuries happen in my last year. And um, then after senior year, it was done. And, uh, well, that was really sad for me. That was like my whole identity. And now it's like, well, time to move on. Who are you now? And so that, that summer was kind of a shock. Um, and I remember there was one specifically like rough week. I was just like, a couple bad things happened um, <laughs> randomly. This, this girl I was dating at the time, we broke it off before college and sad about that, which now seems ridiculous. But <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was over. Um, I was done playing baseball, and I still had a bunch of friends who were, like, you know, a year behind me and went to their games, you know, living, living, living the... Uh, Living in the past a little bit there. And uh, also, silly story, ended up breaking my friend's mom's sunroof. So I owed, owed about $1,000 for that. So it was like, whoa, bad week. Um, and so um, ended up, um, I was talking to a, a friend who was, who was pretty new, a new friend at the time. And uh, I don't know, I just wasn't excited to go to college. I was just like, like you could make a strong case that looked like I was about to have peaked in high school. Things were not so good after that. That's well, uh, well, good. That's not true. Um, so, and what she said to me was, she said, um, you know, Adam, you worry about all this stuff, but it's going to be fine. Like, you know that God's, you know, God's got your back. He's got you moving forward from here. And she was, Where, you know, where's your identity? Because he wants it to be in him. And so... <clears throat> In the summer in Colorado, it was like a particularly hot day, so I decided to go sleep in my basement one night, and I was sitting up just ever ha- after having this conversation, laying in a sleeping bag in my basement, and it was just like, com- I was just like completely at peace, and like com- I was just in the presence of the Lord in, in a way that I had never experienced before, and I was just like, this is it, this is this is who I am. Like all that stuff in the, in the past is, it was all so I could be right here. Like that stuff doesn't matter. And, um, that was when I would, I would describe, uh, that point as the time that I became, um, a disciple and, um, rather than just someone who knew about God and went to college. And my, I mean, my testimony is really, a, a it's not one specific thing, uh, it's it's been growing and it's still growing. My faith is continuing to grow, which uh, I love, and I'm so happy I can say that. Um, went to college, got plugged in with awesome college ministry. I mean, it's super busy at that, and I loved it. And uh, met awesome friends. I went to University of Colorado first, so that's kind of where that started for me. Um, like a year and a half after that conversation with that girl, ended up dating her, still dating her. And um, three years, woo! But uh, um, but my walk with God has just developed in ways I never expected to. Um, college is not what I thought it would be for me, 
and uh, I'm glad to be able to say that. Um, as far as getting baptized, uh, I was baptized when I was a baby, three months old. So, I mean, I wasn't an early talker, so I didn't have a lot to say about that. Um, but, um, so, so I was kind of explaining to Brian, I recognize that now. Uh, and I actually do appreciate that more so that my parents, um, I see it as more like a dedication to their intention to raise me um, as a Christian. And um, I totally love that they... Uh, they do care about my faith and um, you know confirmation like I said that was a great basis for me to to know more um, as far as like facts which is I don't know it's helpful and um, now that I'm the wise old age of 22 um, no seriously though uh, now that like almost every decision I would say is is, is my own um, I wanted to get baptized uh, because I am proclaiming my faith uh, in, in Jesus moving forward, and that's who I'm going to be living for, and I wanted everyone to know. And, um, yeah, I think, I mean, Jesus made the point to get baptized himself, and uh, that's the example that I'm trying to follow. And, yeah, so I'm getting baptized. <laughs> All right. Thanks, you guys. I appreciate that. I, I just want to invite anyone else to, you know, if God's Spirit has been moving in your life and in your heart, and you've just kind of been the kind of person that's just kind of lukewarm and just not sure about this, but God's been pulling and tugging on your heart, I just encourage you just to be bold and, and say you love Jesus. And, um, you know, talk to me or Todd or or if you're a girl and you want to talk to my wife or another woman here, that's totally fine, too. We just want to support you and, uh, and say, you know, we love you and, and point you to Jesus. So we're going to finish up this morning. Uh, Locke was going to do it with one or two songs. And then next week, with a permit in my hand, <laughs> we'll do it. It's literally about a three-minute walk. And so um, um, we'll walk over and baptize people, these guys, plus anyone else. Hello.